Welcome back, everybody, to another edition of the Started Out Podcast. Got an exciting episode for you today. It is with Adam Carolla. And before I get to the interview, I want to give some context and some background to this. First of all, I should probably thank Helium Comedy Club in Indianapolis. Uh, this is now the second comedian to come into town where I've invited them to come on the show. And I greatly appreciate that. I'm like, hey, while you're here, you know, would you like to, to appear on the show? Is that way of J.P. Sears as well? So Helium Comedy Club, thank you. Seriously, I love doing a podcast in person so much more than via Skype or whatever. So there's that. The other thing that I wanted to bring up is that um, there's only been a few other guests that I have had on that ahead of time people were um, not pleased with me that I was going to have on these guests. And um, it, it's it's so funny because most of the time, and actually this is three for three, and I'm not going to necessarily name some of the other people that had offended people, but the, the people that seem to be the biggest lightning rods, uh, they're the nicest. Um, Adam was fantastic. He was not only A, on time, he's like, hey, you want to go get some coffee before we do the show? And uh, super nice guy. Um, but the theme of this was pretty much opportunities are everywhere. Now, if you're a fan of the show or if you've listened to more than one show, it's, uh, it's everything I believe in. It's what I sign off on every time, you know, and, and, and Adam's career, and I don't want to waste too much time, his stories are he found opportunities and, and he was very deliberate about it. So while he is a comedian and while he's, you know, got a persona on certain things, he's, his deliberateness in how he has come to be, Adam Carolla, is nothing short of outstanding. Now, here's the thing that's going to be weird for some of the people listening to this episode. If you're waiting to hear a lot of stories about Loveline or The Man Show or Crank Anchors or things of this nature, it's not this. I really wanted to dig deep on his chapter one. I wanted to find out how he got to where he is by some of the back behind the scenes stories. And, and I think that's what I appreciated the most. I wanted him to get into the mindset and how he found some of these unbelievably great opportunities and how he grew from basically doing construction to being a boxing coach to being the Adam Kroll that we know today and actually godfathering and ushering in the new age of podcasting. So... Uh, I found this interview to be extraordinarily interesting, a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff, and again, just a really genuine conversation with a pretty genuinely good person. Funny side story, um, <laughs> we had our own kind of private place towards the back, and um, we started to draw a crowd, and there were some people that you know, figured out who Adam was, and so little by little, some people were like starting to sit around us. Now, mind you, again, no one had to sit anywhere near us. It was completely empty, but a family uh, moved in uh, right next to us and decided to talk as loudly as possible. So there's a couple points in the show where we uh, make reference to them, but, uh, you know, I just, these things happen. All right, that's enough gabbing for me. I know that you're going to enjoy the show, so let me know what you think. If you have any feedback for me, you can always email me, dwetrick at startedupfoundation.org. Or also just leave some comments there in the show notes or on our Facebook page. All right, here we go. Adam Carolla. All right, we're here with Adam Carolla. Adam, I'm not going to lie, I was sitting here in the lobby thinking it's me in the Bodies in Motion parking lot. Hmm. And, well, and not you. Yeah, uh, just waiting on me. Yeah, when I was waiting on Jimmy. <laughs> uh, so in some of my show prep, and it was convenient because your team re-released like your first two episodes and we're going to go back a little ways. But I just remember in that first episode, you're like, I don't know where this is going to go, but it's going to go somewhere. Um, you have been credited, especially by Joe Rogan and some of the others. You were maybe not the first, but the first to understand monetization of podcasting and all these other things. Um, so you've kind of found opportunity where it lies. Uh, whether that is, and we can get into the story of you waiting to be a boxing coach for Kimmel. Uh, but I want to go back even further. I want to know your chapter one. Um, where did you get the mindset of looking for opportunities and how were you, in a lot of ways, self-educated? You know, I, I, I don't know that I was opportunity-minded when I was a younger person. I was kind of survival. I was in survival mode. Um, 
survival mode with always, you know, a fantasy of doing something, you know, playing air guitar on a tennis racket, but still survival mode. I, I, you know, I know you like to talk about education and, and what that stuff kind of means. And for me, I grew up very poorly educated and it never seemed like a, an avenue to pursue anything that had to do with education. It, it seemed like education was something to get through and then I could be freed up to go do something that didn't have anything to do with education. So it was like, <clears throat> it's like in those movies where someone's going to prison and they go, just keep your nose clean, stay out of trouble, look down, eat alone. And in uh, you know, 14 short years, you'll be out of here. You know, and it was a, kind of that way with me in education, just kind of mind your P's and Q's and they'll let you leave at some point. And <clears throat> when you, after you leave, you can go do something else. Um, so I never really thought about pursuing anything or dreams. I just had a sort of, you go to school and when you're done going to school, some, the smart kids go to college and the dumb kids get a job and you're a dumb kid so you you're going to get a job and and that job could be any it, it really it could be working at a supermarket it could be on a construction site it could be a roofer it could be working at somebody's farm or something like it it's not your it's not your job to pick it's a job mover you know something something that's not going to involve education something that's going to involve work you, your back like your sweat and that'll be it. And then once you get that job, then you try to get better at that job. You know, if it's a mover, you try to get up, work your way up to supervisor instead of the guy just humping the sofa up the stairs. Or if it's, if it's a supermarket, try to work from the box boy to the bag boy to the checkout guy. You know, just see if you can make your way up that ladder. And then that was about it. Those were the thoughts. But obviously along the way then, so you, you, you exit high school, which, by the way, I've heard enough interviews on some of your shot class experiences. Um, but obviously you fall in love with carpentry. Uh, you start working. But you're also, like, doing other things. Yeah, I don't fall in love with carpentry. I realize that I, I get a job picking up garbage on a construction site. You know, I have no skills, so... I get a job as a laborer and I quickly look around and go, well, the guys that are wearing the tool bags and swinging the hammers, they seem to have a better job than I do. And they get paid twice as much as I do. So I was like, I want to see how I can get from ditch digger to carpenter, like as fast as I can get there. It was there. literally that practical. Well, I, I work on You work on a job site. Yeah. The, the job site isn't, a situation where it's like a, you know, corporate area where someone's in a, uh, an office with the door closed yeah. or that guy's down in shipping. It's a job site. You know what everyone does, right? Yeah. And you see guys doing finish work and you go, oh, that's a cool job. The guy's just putting up the crown molding, you know, like it looks skilled. It looks interesting. You see him rolling out his nail gun and getting his nail set out and all his finished stuff or whatever, or just framing or whatever. And then you see what you're doing. You're you're moving drywall. You're busting out stucco. You're digging ditches. You're like, well, this is dirty. And then you find out that guy's getting 15 bucks an hour, and you're getting seven bucks an hour. Mm -hmm. And you're like, okay, how do I get from here to there? Because mm -hmm. we're, we're all in the same place. He's just doing a different thing. So it wasn't like unra unraveling a mystery or a great love of carpentry. It's like I'm making seven bucks an hour. I want to get to 15 bucks an hour. And, by the way, with the job that's more interesting than just working like a donkey. Right. So that practicality, like, continues, obviously. But I've, you know, heard you recant the story of all of a sudden you go from being a boxing instructor to hearing, like, listening to, to K-Rock and going, wait a second, I can fill in there or I can, I can do something. Because like, what I love to hear about that is, like our mantra when I worked, when I was a teacher was opportunities everywhere. Matter of fact, we're a couple blocks away from one day we told our students, let's get into the NFL media day for the Super Bowl. And they're like, how? I go, I don't know. We're just going to. Like, keep your eyes open, man. 
And that's exactly what it is. And and so that story I heard reminded me so much of, of what we've, you know, what I'm always looking out for is opportunities. So how did that happen? And was that your mindset or were you just being, again, really practical? Getting into radio? Yeah. Well, or just getting into the fact that you heard some, you heard two dudes arguing on the radio that they were going to box one another, and you thought, yeah, I could, I could, I could go there and do something about that. Well, I, you know, I had made my way into being a carpenter by by this point. Um, it'd probably been a number of years since I've been on a construction site, so I'd I'd worked my way into carpentry. Um, I realized it was going to be kind of incremental. Like when you're digging ditches all day, then seeing guys who are framing all day, it looks pretty good. But uh, but I also kind of in the back of my head knew that framing all day wasn't going to look that good as a as a job when you're 40. You know, like it's so I, I understood that I wanted to get from here to there, but there wasn't going to be the destination. That was just going to be the next stepping stone to get me to the next place. So... I was uh, hanging around in my early 20s, and I'd kind of realized that uh, I was driving a truck, I was swinging a hammer, I was, you know, eking out a living, but now that I've got myself, you know, when I got out of high school, I was just in the middle of the ocean flailing around, you know, no job opportunities, no any opportunities. At a certain point, I got from flailing around in the middle of the ocean to like laying on top of a, a raft in the ocean, like a life raft. And that that's where I was when I was about 23. It's like I had a truck, had kind of a job, had kind of a skill, got paid a little bit. Then I was like, all right, but now that I'm on this raft, how do I get, how do I get into a cruise ship or how do I get onto a lot an island you know like I wanted more now that I was safe at least I thought out of the water how do I get somewhere else from here like how do I start flourishing I I, I figured out how to survive but now that I've figured out how to survive what's what's next you know it was kind of like I made the team now how do I get to be the star of the team you know first it was all just about making the team you know so I was uh, just sitting around and I just thought, well, you know, you got a sense of humor like that. That's something, you know, it seems like a long shot. I don't know what to do with it, but you're good with your hands. You have a sense of humor. You can you can build and you have a sense of humor. One thing you're you're trained to do, which is building. And the other thing you're not trained to do, but doesn't mean you couldn't do it if you got trained, maybe so. I started taking groundlings classes and in, in stand-up comedy classes and radio class. I started taking anything I could take when I wasn't working, but I work full time. So, okay, so let me stop you there. Um, for a person, and I'm, first of all, I'm, I'm admiring this, but for a person that didn't have the best experience in education, all of a sudden you're investing in your education. Obviously, it's personalized and it's very like to what you want to do. Uh, but was that a hard decision to make or like, this is just, again, what I have to do. It was, um, and how'd that go over with some of your friends? I'm going to take some classes. Well, my friends and my family and, and, and my immediate group didn't really know what a groundling class was. You know, I didn't know what a groundling class was you know nobody knew anything you know so I started asking a friend whose parents were in the arts like they worked I I had one female friend named Danielle and and her parents were Jewish people who were like worked in Hollywood you know and I said what is I can I talk to your mom about and, and I talked to Judy, her, her mom, and, and the mom said, take a groundlings class. And I was like, I don't know, what, what is that? And it's like, it's down on Melrose, and they had a theater. And go down there, take a, go, go watch a, a groundlings show. And then I like bought a ticket and just went and sat in the audience, you know, and like watched these guys do sketch improvisational comedy, you know? And I was like, wow, they're amazing. This is amazing. I, I don't know if I could ever do this, but they seem incredible, you know. 
And so, uh, so I just signed up for a Groundlings class. And so during the days, I, I just went, you know, I work full time, you know, 7, 7 to 3.30 pretty much are the hours with Saturdays kind of sprinkled in construction-wise. And then uh, on a Tuesday night and a Thursday night, I'd go to the church in Hollywood or whatever, and they'd have a Groundlings class, you know. And they'd rarely be at the Groundlings. There was a couple that were physically at the theater over over the years, and 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 maybe do an open mic thing or or some something like that, you know. And I was just like, I just started pecking away at it. I didn't, I wasn't that good at it. I, I didn't really, it didn't hit me like, oh, this is this is where you belong, or, you know, I didn't get up on stage and grab the microphone and feel alive for the first time or anything. I was just like, uh, I don't think you're very good at this. Like, so I was like, I know you're funny, but I don't know that you're very good at this. But then on the other hand, why should you be? Like, you're good, you're good carpenter, but you didn't know anything about carpentry yeah, when you started. Yeah, I gotta ask, like, what was your in? Like, was it observational humor? Was it, I mean, I just can't see you being slapstick. What, what was your approach in the early days? You know, the early days was me trying to figure out what people would think was funny by doing kind of my impersonation of a stand-up, not really myself. When I did sketch, when I did improvisational comedy, I was fine. It was just me thinking on my feet, you know, and I was good at that. I excelled at that. Like, I didn't really do characters very well, but I was quick on my feet just naturally, and, and people laughed, and, and, I, and I understood that I was funny. And people understood I was funny. They just didn't know. I didn't have any experience, so they, they knew I didn't really know what I was doing, but they could tell I had sort of a, a, a natural, you know, comedic ability. So... I just pecked away at that, not really knowing what the direction would be for that. And I always had a love of radio, but I loved radio like, you know, like like you might have a favorite band, but you'd never see them in person or be in the band or even have any kind of attachment to the band. You just like you like Soundgarden, you know, it's like, OK, I've never seen them, don't know never been in the band, don't, never been close to the band, but I just, I like this band or that band or whoever, whatever it is you like, or it could be f figure skating or something, but you've never put skates on, you know, that's kind of the way I was with radio. Like I liked radio, you know, I spent a lot of time in my truck driving from job to job, spent a lot of time on the job site with just my little portable radio with me and I'd listen to talk radio. And of course you, you see when you're, when you're doing the construction cycle, the construction, you know, morning radio, the shift for morning radios is, is six to 10. In most jobs, you have this thing where it's like, well, I get up at 7.30 and then I commute from 8.15 to nine and then I go into the office and okay, I would get up at 6.15, 6.30, I turn on the morning radio. Then I'd go down into my truck. i put the morning radio on. i drive to Chatsworth, you know, I'd get out. Go into the cabinet shop, turn on the morning radio, and just listen right on through. So I could hear, you know, three, three and a half hours of a morning radio show five days a week. That was most jobs back then. You just couldn't get out of your car and go into the office and turn on KLOS or whatever it is. You'd, you'd have to stop listening periodically i just had this kind of a job where you'd always have a boom box on the job site and you could turn it on the station so i started listening to morning radio and i was like damn yeah man i could do that and it sounded like they're having so much fun and 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 they were indoors and everything you know oh, i i resonate with that i um, when i was a kid i used to mow fairways and greens uh, for a golf course mm -hmm. and i'd have to get up at 4:30 and so the I'm um, you know I'm a Midwest guy so Bob and Tom was the right. thing, and uh, but at 5 a.m. they weren't ready yet so they'd play the best of Bob and Tom, right. and I would measure my day with how long I could get because that was the only really entertaining thing on because I'd get, you'd get tired of music after I mean, once I was done with the Fairways and Greens there's weed whacking and that just sucks so you would measure your day with like okay it's the best of Bob and Tom from five to six and then they're they they get on their good guests come on around you know eight kind of thing. 
And then they'd start wrapping up and you, you'd get this like, oh crap, what am I going to listen to now? And I don't you know, mind you, I had like one or two more hours in the day. So, but I get what you mean. Like you kind of pick up on the, on how they did it. Like I could tell when one of the guys was mailing it in, I could tell when they were using the laugh track when it wasn't clicking. Uh, so yeah, I, so that, that's how you cut your teeth. Then you're, you, you're just a fan. You listen to a lot of it and you're like thinking you start seeing your, or hearing yourself into that position. I listen to that. I'd, I'd also at night, I'd listen to Loveline, which ironically ended up hosting. So that was a really weird thing because I was a big Loveline yeah, fan. Yeah, I want an ex- explanation on that, definitely. But go ahead. So I'd just go to my job in Chatsworth or wherever it was. I work in cabinet shops. I work on job sites or build custom homes. Um, I never really had one. I never really had one job like where I just work for, you know, union something or drywall or something like that. I just had a thousand jobs. I just go from different house to different house. Eventually, toward the end, I started to work for myself. I, I just realized it was just I'd had a, I had some clients. I was a good carpenter. I was kind of always in demand because I was cheap and I was nice and I was clean, you know, and I did good, good custom work and. And, and your name would get pa- passed around a little bit, you know, and, and you just have, you know, you don't have to advertise or, I, I, you know, you don't have business cards or flyers or anything. It's just you, you have a certain group of people and they just keep you employed, you know. And um, at the end, uh, toward the end, that's kind of what I was doing. I'd, I'd broken away from working for any company and I was just kind of working on my own. And I wasn't making any real money, but at least I was my own boss and I was doing jobs that were a little more interesting, a little more creative, you know. And I'd always boxed all throughout my, I don't know, probably since I was like 18 or 20 or something like that. And I wanted to, I wanted to teach boxing because I liked teaching. I liked the notion of passing along information. I also liked the idea of not, being a carpenter I, I was a carpenter my whole adult life you know and I didn't like the idea of having to work all the time like I liked that I wanted to be on my feet and instruct and be in a cool environment not being a dirty environment like alone all the time you know you know when you're a carpenter you don't get to work with people you just work alone basically like even there's a couple guys floating around depending on what it what you're doing but you don't get to interact with the public like you can't meet any women you, there's no women there's just a bunch of dudes you know like like you know i thought well if you get a job as a boxing coach at one of these fitness places and you got some cute girls in your class you know and you're the teacher you know maybe get a date out of it or something like i never did but i thought you don't realize that you, you do carpentry you don't work with any women you don't talk to any women you don't meet anybody you know you, if you if you're single you got to go out on the weekends and go to a bar or something so i didn't have anything going i want to be a a boxing coach at one of these new fangled boxing fitness you know places white collar you know and then and, and so i went in and i said uh this will be a lesson for your listeners i went in this place called Bodies in Motion. I, I knew the guy who ran it was a guy named Bruce. He was a friend of my friend's college, like a college friend of a friend, you know. So I kind of knew that Bruce was, oh, that's Robbie's friend from his his, uh, his frat buddy from uh, Berkeley or something. And and I was, and so I just kind of went in there, and Bruce was kind of a little douchey and all business, you know? And I was like, hey, I'm Robbie's friend. And he's like, okay, <laughs> like, so what? You know, and I'm like, I, I want to be a boxing coach. And he's like, yeah, no, nah, I don't think so. And I was like, why not? He's like, Ooh. he's like, we hire ex-champions, basically. So we can say this guy was a welterweight champion or something, you know? You don't do it. You don't have any title, you know? You didn't fight in any whatever. And I, I said... Yeah, well, that's true. But I'm a good boxing. I think I'd be a good boxing coach, you know. And he's like, "Yeah, well, so what?" <laughs> I mean, like, you doesn't you, give us any marketing power. Yeah, we want some marketing power. Like right. this guy had the WBC belt or something, you know, or whatever. He was a California champion or something, you know. And I was like, "Yeah, but I think I could be good." And he's like, "Yeah, well, we don't care." So I was like standing there in this bodies in motion 
in LA and he's like telling me just kind of go hit the bricks and I was like I just said I, I was looking around and I saw he had like the speed bag stand the wall mount speed bag stand and a couple other things a couple of heavy bags and stuff and they were leaning against the wall and like I could see into the workout gym area like they're just leaning against the wall or sitting on the floor you know and I go hey do you need those speed bag things you need those things hung and he's like yeah yeah I do and I was like you need that heavy bag what you want that heavy bag you want it hung he's like yeah and I go well I'm a carpenter and he goes oh, okay <laughs> I go well okay now I'll hang those I said, he says, oh, I got, I got a lot of work around here, you know? And I said, okay, well, let's talk. I said, I cut the guy a deal. I said, look, 10 bucks an hour straight across. I'm a, I'm a journeyman carpenter. I'll do this. I will hang this stuff. I will, what time do you close? He's like, we close at 11 at night. I said, I'll come in here at 11. I'll come in here at 11. I'll work from 11. What time do you open? He's like 5 a.m. or something. I said, I'll work from 11 to 5. I'll work through the night. I'll hang this stuff. I won't do it during working hours when people are here. But I'll come in here. I'll come in here as you're closing. I'll work through the night. When the guy comes to open it up, I'll hand my keys. I'll clean the place up. I'll charge you 10 bucks an hour straight, straight through. You give me a chance. You give me a chance to teach a class. So I love that story. I love that story. Um, you had a plan. You weren't, I wanted to say you weren't going to take no. You took no for a couple seconds, but then you looked around and you saw something. Um, okay, so now I'm intrigued. Um, how do we get there from now to, to Loveline? And then we have to have to go into, like, well, I'm going to say a little bit like how you launched a podcast for a little bit later, but you go from you know what i don't want to i don't want to like gloss over anything because this is all gold but i just keep seeing this pattern of i found opportunities and in some cases it was practical but it's the mindset's there um so now all of a sudden he he says yes to you right you're you're hanging the bags you're you're finding opportunities uh how do you go from then being a boxing instructor to <laughs> instructing Jimmy Kimmel on how to fight. So when I'm done with this guy, Bruce, and I've, I've shadowed a lot of instructors and audited their classes and kind of half stood next to them while they were teaching their classes. When we were done with that- The welterweight, the champions. Yeah, the guys who are <laughs> champions, right. But they weren't that good at teaching because they they're good at doing it, but they weren't really good at teaching, you know? And then they said, uh, he said, well, we're going to open a store in Pasadena or, or a gym in Pasadena. So he said, you go down there, you build out that space. The, the, the place was already built, but it wasn't a gym. It was just like a big open space. He said, you go hang all the bags. You build all the stuff out. You do all the stuff. You build, God, built the front desk, a reception thing, and you, goddamn. Said, you do all that, 10 bucks an hour. You build that place out and you can teach the 7 a.m. class or whatever. It was a stupid deal. I got 20 bucks a class, you know. It was, it was a horrible deal for me, but I was like, I was desperate. I was like, fine, I'll go there. I moved. I lived in like Santa Monica. I moved into a room in La Crescenta with a bunch of dudes. And I just built that gym out. And, uh, and then I taught there. And then so I taught at the gym in the mornings. Early, you know, I taught like a 7 a.m. class and then um, had a couple of private students, you know, maybe three or something. I just charged them like 20 bucks a class, an hour. And then uh, in the afternoons, I would head out and, and, and do my carpentry. And uh, so I was done teaching my morning class. I had a uh, entertainment unit back when that was a thing. People needed entertainment. They had big TVs, you know, big... 34 inch Sony, but it's like 55 inches deep, you know, it was like a big old box, you know, and the drawers hold their VHS cassettes and stuff. And I was a Finnish guy, I was a cabinet guy. So I started building people like custom, big custom, you know, entertainment units. And I was heading over the hill over, over Laurel Canyon into heading into Hollywood. And I was, um, 
I was, I, the part of the story I forget about is a little bit earlier in the month or maybe a month or so earlier, I had heard Howard Stern talking about trying to get like one of, one of the whack packers or something to box one of the whatever bimbos or whatever. And I remember like trying to get hold of him going, I'm a boxing coach, but I, I never got any response and he's in New York and blah, blah, blah. But I'm driving over the hill and I'm hearing Jimmy, the sports guy, and he's getting to an argument with uh, Michael, the maintenance man. And as I'm heading over the hill, it's it's late in the show. It's probably like 9.30, 9.45 to deliver this um, entertainment unit. I hear him go, oh, well, let's have a boxing match. You know, it's it's on. And then I hear Kevin and Bean go, okay, well, that's it. We need trainers. We need equipment. We need a venue. And it, like, you know anybody's a trainer? You know anybody's got you know, a, a, a venue to box or whatever it is. And I was like driving this truck and I was like, I'm a, I'm a trainer, I'm a trainer. And I wasn't really thinking either guy. I didn't care. I didn't, I didn't know Michael or Jimmy, obviously. Jimmy had only been there about two months. So Jimmy wasn't a high candidate. The other guy, Michael, had been there like three years. So I was like, hope I can train Michael. I drove over the hill. I didn't have any cell phone or anything. I got to the client's house and I was like, hey, could I make a phone call using your phone? I was like in her kitchen, you know, and I was calling K-Rock and I was just getting a message machine, you know, like it's like uh, reach Frank Murphy, producer, off. you know, I was like, hey, I'm a boxing coach and I'm here's my home number and I'm here to, you know, and uh, I got nothing and uh and it was driving me nuts. And like the next day I'd turn on the radio and they're going, we're still having a boxing match. And guys would call in going like, Hey, I'm a trainer. Let me train one of them. And I was like, who, who are they talking to? What? And they, and they were like, okay, we'll get your number or whatever. And I was like, I kept calling and calling and calling and nobody would call me back. And I kept hearing guys calling in going, I'm a trainer. I'm out in Long Beach. I'll train Jimmy or whatever it is. And I was like, no, don't, no, don't use him. Use me. So, Eventually, it became clear that no one was going to call me back and no one was going to pick up the phone. So what I was going to have to do is I need to go down to K-Rock. So I figured out... Um, Which, by the way, other people were calling in and offering their services. And this is my favorite part of, of what you were about to say. But other people are calling in, but you're now going to drive down there and confront them. Well, I'm going to try. I, I don't know what, I don't know exactly what I'm going to get out of it, but I'm going down because they're not picking up, they won't pick up the phone. So people are calling in, they won't answer the phone, they won't return the call. So I go down to uh, the building and I go early, I go before my 7 a.m. class. And I get there at like 6.30 in the morning and the, the building's locked. It's like a commercial building in Burbank, California. So they're on the ninth floor. And it's a, I can't get into the building, you know? And I talk to, I see somebody says like building hours or business hours or, you know, building's locked until building opens at seven. I'm there at 6.30, I got to teach a seven o'clock class in Pasadena, so I'm like, I got to leave, you know, so I go leave and I, uh, teach my class. And then I find a guy named, uh, tree. And I think his name was round tree. Who was a teacher there. And I get tree. I asked him if he could cover my, I asked him if he could cover the first half of my next day's class. And he says, okay. So I go back the next day. Now after seven, so I got someone to cover my class and I get into the building and I, I know K-Rox, I f see the K-Rox on the ninth floor. So I go up to the ninth floor and the elevator's open and I go to the two big K-Rox doors and the doors are locked, you know, because K-Rox business hours are like nine to five. You know, if you, you know, we say like, we want to pick up your gifts or you want to pick up your prize, you know, don't sh show nine to five. You can't show up at eight o'clock. It's closed. I know Kevin and Bean are, in there 
on the air. They're on the air, but I'm not, I can't contact them or get hold of them. And, and I've since I've later on done it. I knew I now know how it's laid out. You're just in the corner. You don't care who's knocking on the door. It's a million. It's way down the hall, and that's for the receptionist. You know, and she's not there. So I'm just standing out by the uh, elevators, and I'm like flummoxed or perplexed. I, I'm like just sort of stopped in my tracks. Like I'm not sure where to go. That the the doors aren't going to open for another two hours. But I'm up on the floor, but I can't get in. And there's nobody. You could knock on the door, but no one's going to hear you. You know. And so um, I'm just standing there, just by the elevator bank. It's kind of pausing like I got to get back I got to teach my class or finish teaching my class and, and and as I'm standing there thinking about it like the elevator's open and some guy just gets off and I don't know if he I, I wish I had a better memory of it but I don't know if he's got a hand truck or something but he's he's on some kind of official business you know and and he's walking around the back He's not going into the front doors and like the main. He's going into like down the side hall where there's like the key card door that gets you into the, the back, you know. And he's like refilling the vending machines or something, you know. He's on his business, early business. And and he's going in. And and I go, "Oh, hey, uh you're going in. When you go in, can you tell and it could have been an engineer, just anybody was working there. But he looked, he had the key card and he was definitely working there. And I, I didn't want to be presumptuous to like follow him in through the door. So I just, I said, I'm a boxing coach. I'm going to be waiting by the elevators. But when you go in, could you tell somebody in there there's a boxing coach waiting by the elevators? So I just stood by the elevators. I didn't know if he was going to do it. I didn't know what his position was. I didn't know what was going on in there. They were on the air, so it's like, I don't know what that meant. But I just stood. I just waited and waited and waited. And then eventually, Jimmy just came down this long hall in the back. And he just came walking down the hall. And I noticed he, had a, he was a little bit duck-footed. Like his, he walked with his feet, front feet out a little bit, which is never a good sign athletically. But he just got to the – and he was a little overweight – he got to the end, and he, I just, he just said, "Are you the boxing coach?" And I said, "Yeah, I'm the boxing coach." And then he's like, "Okay." And I said, "Oh, okay." He said, "We on?" You know? And he's like, "Yeah." And then I said, "Okay, when do you want to start?" And he just went, "Today." And I went, "Okay." And he went, "Okay." When are you done with your? He said, "I could meet you at noon." And I was like, "I'm, I'm in Pasadena." He's like, "Okay." I just stood in the parking structure. I said, I'll be waiting. I'll be standing out in that parking structure when you come pulling up. And I said, okay. And that, that was it. Thus the reference at the top of the show. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, uh, again, opportunity finds those who are willing. Um, we're completely glossing over some of the, and I'll probably get some people like, why didn't you talk about the man show? Or why didn't you talk more about Dr. Drew? However... Let's flash forward to you getting this crazy idea of wanting to do a podcast. Um, it there's no money in it yet. Uh, a handful of people are doing it, and it's more experimental. Uh, and matter of fact, I, I is great. I you guys, your team just re-released some of your first couple episodes, and yeah, that first episode was like, I don't know how we're gonna, I don't know where this is going, but it's going somewhere. Uh, talk to me about those early days of the podcast and what made you want to do a podcast. Um, I I had I had a couple of pieces of information. I knew that I was um, I knew that I was being streamed when I was doing my terrestrial radio. I knew we had thousands of hours of streaming, so I was like, oh that that's got to count for something. People are listening on their inner, on the internet, on their computer. I didn't really know that much about computers or the internet or anything, but I, I did know that people would stream our terrestrial show. It was really, it was really just born out of a very kind of pure thought, which was I had listened to radio my whole life and I had understood the importance of the relationship and the connection with with the relationship with radio. So, and I remember guys I listened to going off the air, and 
and, you know, signing off for the last time and stuff, you know, and having a feeling of sadness, you know, and loss, you know. Like, I didn't feel that way when MASH went off the air or whatever it was, but when certain guys I would listen to that kept me company when I was alone swinging a hammer and stuff. And I knew from doing Loveline all those years, people say, oh, Adam, oh, we're going to miss you. We listen every night. I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm sad. You know, people would be crying and stuff, you know, and I thought, I, I literally, God, this poor loud group just moved in next to us. But I, right, I said uh, they're taking they they're, they're, they're taking pride in like I no they see they oh, see they, do? they were giving us the look like oh this seems important so let's be loud anyway. <laughs> I've got a good microphone and we're masking yeah, we're it pretty fine. darn well. So I I knew I knew that I could keep connected with people. So what I was saying to people is is. I've gotten off my terrestrial radio show. And if you want to stay connected to me, here's how you can do it. You can go, we'll have a new episode of me every day waiting for you in the morning when you get up. Now, my thought, I was pretty philosophical. I was like, look, I'm on terrestrial radio. I was in 13 or 14 cities, big cities. I was number one-ish in many of those cities. I knew we had a big audience. I was like, 90% of you are going to never hear from me again, you know? But for the 10% that care, like who really want to stay connected and really feel like it's something important, like you would feel when you were doing the fairways and the greens and everything and you needed that company, I said, for you people, I will be waiting for you every morning when you get up. It'll be on your computer or maybe you can get it on your phone or whatever the technology was. But I... If you want to find me, I'll be there. And that's all I know. Was there, was there a term podcast yet? I mean, wh- how did they describe it to you? I think, um, I think it was a podcast. Yeah, I remember doing Bill Simmons' podcast before, and I remember, I think we called it a podcast. Was he a Boston sports guy then, or had he, had he crossed over? He was out here, out, out in Los Angeles. Okay, so he'd already left Boston, okay. And we, he and I were friends, and I would be one of the first guests on his podcast so I was kind of understood that they were out there and I didn't I, I didn't know what he was doing I don't know what he knew what he was doing I don't know if it made any money or anything and he was with ESPN I think but I wasn't with any parent company or anything so but I was just like you know we're just gonna we're just gonna do it and and it's talking after all and you're used to working you know really working you know when you're when you work when you build when you do earthquake rehab, you crawl under buildings and dig footings and you're up on a roof working with steel and stuff like that. When you really work, sitting down and talking, it ain't work, you know? So I, I, first things first, like I was like, this ain't work. So I labeled it not work. I also want to stay connected with whomever may have wanted to listen. And that's that's as much I thought about it. I didn't have any thoughts about where it was going or what it what I didn't know. I didn't know it was going to turn into anything. I, I I would have nothing to base that on. You know, I, I I didn't know anyone who really knew what a podcast was. I didn't know anyone who made money off it. I didn't. Yeah. How did you guys in the early days? How did you sell monetization? I mean, how did you immediately think of sponsors or what did you guys do first? It became apparent to us. It became apparent to us that people would listen and you wouldn't make money directly from doing your podcast, but you could sell tickets for a live show. But I wasn't really doing live shows, you know, but it became so at the very beginning, it was like. Use your podcast not to get paid from the podcast, but to sell tickets for when you go to Portland. And, and, and so you'll use it as this indirect tool to sell tickets to doing live shows. And that, that became sort of interesting and, and also understood the value of it. So you're doing this daily podcast and you're saying to everybody, uh, we don't have any commercials and we're not really getting any revenue from the podcast, but this weekend we're coming to Seattle and then you'd sell a bunch of tickets in Seattle and then you'd get paid. So that's how it would work. Also, they would do, um, you know, uh, 
Amazon, RevShare, whatever, direct, whatever with, with Amazon. And, it, and, and at some point, we've, you figured out, oh, you can make some good money if people click through your website and buy their Amazon stuff. And then at some point, like you have a book coming out, you know, and you, you pre-sell 20,000 units of the book from the podcast. So it wasn't really making money from the podcast, but it was making money from having yeah, that really platform. Yeah. yeah, right. Well, I, I think that was the interesting thing in watching all this. And, and I had totally forgotten about Bill Simmons, and yeah, I, I love his work. Um, but just seeing those early days and seeing where it is now, I mean, heck, even in the last three, I mean, you've been going on 12? Was that 11 I just or 12 passed years? 11 years. Okay, right. So even in the last three years, I've seen this explosion even more so. And so, um, of course, a lot of the, uh, it's still, the, the great question mark is how do you monetize? And uh, some people do it for fun. Heck, yeah. I, I, when we were out for coffee earlier, I, I did it because it gave my students and I awesome people to talk to. Right. Um, but it, since that explosion, like, what are some of the changes you've seen and where do you feel like where's you the pit in your stomach of where things might be going with podcasting? Well, you know, it's it's always a struggle to build or maintain audience with so many options now. You know, there's so many great talents in it and and there's so many personalities and people that are involved that you know when i started it really wasn't any anybody there you weren't bringing in names you know there wasn't any conan o'briens or oprah's or anything they weren't gonna podcast because that'd be too low rent i think for a lot of people back then i think you couldn't get real talent that you'd household name kind of talent to want to do a podcast because this didn't make sense to them they're like i want to do a tv show you know and so now you have all these really talented people and they're doing you know daily podcasts or three days a week or whatever it is and they're churning a lot of material out there and so all of a sudden there's this huge i mean there's someone told me 700,000 podcasts like on iTunes you know it's like that's a lot of podcasts that try to define yourself against you know so you know the good news is is it exists now it's a job it's real uh the bad news is that's attracting so many people to the to to the industry that you have to really get out there and fight for your space you know so I, there is no answer. There never was. It, the answer is get up and go to work. You know, I never thought about it any differently than that. You know, just get up, do the best you can do on any given day. Um, try to innovate. Try to always be a little bit better. Try to ask better questions and tell better jokes. Um, but ultimately, there is no, you know, I don't have a crystal ball. I do have a crystal brain. I've told people a few times I can usually think things out. Yeah. Um, I don't think in terms of where it's going because I'm too philosophical about it. My feeling is, is do it if you want to do it. Do it if you love it. You know, do it if you have something to say. If you don't have something to say, then don't, don't say it, you know. But if you have something to say, then get up every day and say it. And if, if you make money then that's, that's a blessing, you know? And if you don't, then you just said what you had to say. And You've made uh, a heck of a, a career. Again, I'm gonna wrap this up. Um, one, although the, the dad walked in and he was like, they're doing an interview over there, shut your mouth. So, oh, that's good. Yeah, the dad good was on. giving us some props. Good dad. Uh, no, I'm gonna wrap this up by saying, A, it's, I, I think in doing my, research of you i think one thing you have sold yourself short on is you have uh, this uncanny knack of really being forward thinking and i think uh, like i'm not trying to be bold here but like you know i think sometimes you get cast a little bit of being a guy that goes on an epic rant well you've been incredibly thoughtful about a lot of things um and i so i love those stories of like i'll hang i'll hang those bags for you or I'll wait in this hallway for two hours. I love that um, because it, it, it's, 
it's refreshing to hear that you, you just wrapped it up by saying, I don't know where podcast is heading, but I'm going to work. As well, simple as that. I'm, I'm going to work, and then I'm going to see where the advantages are, and I'm going to try to cash into those. Well, you know, you know, I'm I'm very much into controlling things I can control, and not controlling elements I can't control. And I do have control over how much I work and how hard I work, or how smart I work, or how often I work. I don't have control over which way the wind is blowing and and I don't have control over where the coronavirus is going to tank the stock market. Like, I don't have that. But I, I, I can't control what I can control. And I've always wanted to do a good job of controlling my product and what I can control. And I never really wanted to wring my hands over what I can't control or even think about what ifs or who's who's ats. And, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting to go through life because if you've been around long enough, if you've been around in this business long enough, you'll see people that were peons and now they're ascending to great heights, you know. And you'll see people that were you know, big stars or big whatever, big howevers, and you, you don't even know what they're doing anymore, you know? Like, you, you know, you take, you just take examples like, it's gonna seem a little apples and oranges here, but like when Jimmy and I got in the business, uh, Pat O'Brien, the sports announcer, that guy was like at the height of his powers, you know? And he'd invite us over to his house in the 90s for like a Christmas party, and. Jimmy and I were like in awe, like Pat's house. Look at this big house, you know. Look at it. This guy's got it made. This guy's top of the world. And this celebrity friends were coming in and everything. And Pat O'Brien is not doing that anymore. I don't know what Pat O'Brien is is up to. I like Pat O'Brien, but he's not. He's not. Doesn't have the world by the tail anymore. When I started off in radio, there was a guy who used to call in and do the voice of uh, Kobayashi, the uh, hot dog eating championship. I didn't even know who the guy was. He just did the voice of Kobayashi. And then turns out somebody said, oh, the guy's name is Joe Coy. He's a stand-up comedian. I was like, I don't know who Joe Coy is, you know. It's like, he's a, he's a stand-up comedian. He's Filipino, he's a stand-up comedian. I go, yeah, okay, I don't know who that is, you know, all right. And then a couple years later, Joe Coy would like, come on my podcast, you know, and he'd be like, you know, I'm playing the Bray Improv this Thursday. And I'm like, okay, I, I didn't really follow the stand-up scene that much. I didn't heard too much about it. I didn't know Joe Coy, his work or whatever. Uh, last weekend, I went down to the forum in Los Angeles. I opened for Joe Coy. There were 13,000 people at that place. Oh, wow. Two nights sold out. So. That's awesome. Who the hell knows? I yeah, it's funny. Who it, knows where people are going, man? I, well, like you said, it's a heck of a platform. It's funny. A couple months ago, the same kind of thing. Um, J.P. Sears was in town, and I reached out to him. And what was J.P. Sears a couple years ago? He was right. a guy who was making some snarky, funny, ironic things on yoga and spirituality. And next thing you know, yeah. Right. But it doesn't mean... He and or Joe will be there in five years either. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I hope they are, but there is no there's no guarantee. So you you see guys come, you see guys go, you see guys ascend to these great heights, you see the guy some people die, you know, had people die. So it's like, what's the answer? I don't know what the answer is. Get up and go to work. It's a good one to end on. Adam, thank you so much for agreeing to do this and uh, taking some time off. Appreciate it. And yeah, I don't get to talk enough. Two shows Friday, two shows Saturday, two shows Thursday. I'm going to get a chance to stretch my jaw a little bit. Well, glad I can help. Appreciate it, man. Thank you.